Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahachko. This is all in the single breath as I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Haas Reuter. Haas, welcome back to the show. We missed you last week, buddy. I know. It's good to be back. I, uh, I missed recording last week as well, but our good... Our volleyball guru and good friend Ty Peter Onitz was on it with uh, the volleyball scoop, and I see what you did so there. Now we're uh, transitioning back to a little football talk, and we will mention uh, volleyball at the end of the show. And because it's Tuesday, uh, we plan on having another episode for you later in the week where we'll talk some Nebraska ball and some more volleyball because uh, the Husker women are going to the Final Four. We'll. we'll touch on that briefly at the end of the show but yeah Haas as you mentioned we're going to transition back to football but as we record this I mean it's obviously dropping Tuesday which is the day of uh, your last final of the semester and so we're recording this the night before Monday night and you're doing the smart thing and you're not drinking I am not drinking I uh I'm sitting here I have a I have a cheek full of Copenhagen mint chewing tobacco and a big 32 ounce tumbler of water next to me but there's no beer i don't even think i have any beer in the fridge well first of all that last part is a travesty which needs to be rectified after you successfully complete your final examinations uh as we mentioned before the break i am drinking uh and the reason i'm drinking and what i'm drinking is because before we sat down to start a recording i grabbed a pack of cookies uh nutter butters to be specific Uh Uh, And I sat down here at the computer, and I mean, I got to thinking, you know what I probably don't need is to eat or is to have this package of cookies next to me the entire episode because people will hear me getting into that plastic wrap. They will hear me bite into a crisp and flavorful Nutter Butter, and it will just be unprofessional. So when I went up and I put the cookies away, I had to get some milk. So I'm drinking a nice tall glass of milk. Ah, good old, uh, good old milk. The Mood. foundation of any healthy lifestyle. Moo juice. Have you ever heard it referred to as moo juice? I have not, but I think I'm going to start calling it that. And uh, it's my wife says that my boy and I are, are addicted to milk. I said, no. I said, you know, it, it's perfectly natural for a family of three to go through a gallon of milk in a week. When one of those people doesn't drink milk and the other two do, that's... I drink most of my milk after nine o'clock when it's cookies and milk time i'm not gonna lie uh it's 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 a problem hoss it's a problem see i'm, I'm a big chocolate milk guy i, like like, that I don't too. like regular milk I'll, I'll have it with cereal but chocolate milk is where it's at i find you know ron burgundy and anchorman uh he found that milk was a bad decision but i do find a glass of uh cold two percent you know, white milk, uh, just really refreshing. But like you, I also enjoy chocolate milk. Let me ask you, 
Do you like your chocolate milk pre-made as in, you know, from the store or do you like to mix it at home? And if you mix it at home, do you use the syrup or the powder? I like it pre-made. Okay. I'm big, uh, it's no secret in my life. I'm a big Costco guy. I ah. absolutely love Costco. And Costco chocolate milk is some of the best chocolate milk you'll ever have. Well, there you go. Free plug for Costco. And uh, Costco, when you're listening, I'll uh, tell you where you can send the check. And then it won't be a free plug anymore, but you can still send the check. Yeah, I mean, you can help me out here. You know, I I enjoy shopping at Costco. I go in there, you know, buy a box of protein bars, some chocolate milk, you know. Here's the thing. tubes of toothpaste. It's you know, thirty six rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> the box of the box of protein bars is a hundred pack, and the the bottle of uh, chocolate milk is a ten gallon bottle of chocolate milk. So you're getting your money's worth because it's all for a buck forty nine. Absolutely, you know it's it's value value shopping, and you know that kind of that just surplus of protein between the chocolate milk and the protein bars. I mean that that's the diet of a college student. Can I tell you where uh, we find the most value at our grocery store, and that is at the free cookie that they give to or that they offer to uh, children ten and under. All you got to do is go back there, open up the case, you can pick your own cookie, and we give that to our soon-to-be three-year-old, and he's calm and pretty mellow through the. It, it helps us get through the grocery trip, is what I'm saying. Man, I, I wish stores had like you could go to the beer cooler and take out a tall boy. <laughs> I mean, Christmas shopping would be so much more enjoyable. Oh, I, I've, I'm working through my Christmas list. I, I've got more to do, but I've, I've progress has been made. Uh, I'm pretty much all done, uh, which is a rarity. Usually, I'm Christmas shopping 3 p.m. in the afternoon on December 23rd, or even on Christmas Eve. You know, nice late game, two minute drill situation. Um, this year, I decided to get it done early, and it still sucks. <laughs> especially especially because i'm one of those people that i'm buying stuff for other people i also rationalize purchases for myself that actually are far more expensive than the gifts that i'm actually buying for other people that i believe every bit of um yeah. my this is the my only go-to christmas shopping story i'm not a black friday shopper never have been never will be there's far more important uh events on black friday than shopping uh, but years ago when I was up in Shadron, I did all of my Christmas shopping at the Rapid City, I don't know if it's Monument Mall or anyway, it's the mall in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, so driving, because outside of the small mall in Scotts Bluff is really the only mall. So driving an hour and 45 minutes to the mall, got all my shopping. Of course, I was in my early 20s and I think I was only shopping for mom, dad, and my sister at the time. So shop for them, uh, the three of them, was leaving the mall in 60 minutes and had to drive. So I drove over three hours to do an hour's worth of shopping, and then I was done because it was Christmas season. I mean, it was middle of December. I was like, I just want to get there and get out. I don't want to deal with crowds. I, I don't know. I've never been to a game at Memorial Stadium. I'm sure I'll enjoy it when I go. But me and crowds, it's a good thing that they're 90,000 of my closest friends. That's all I can say. Me and crowds don't get along. I am a fast walker by nature, and I don't exactly have a lot of patience when I'm in a crowd. And so oftentimes I usually end up pissing off somebody because they've in turn pissed me off, and I just, you know, walk right past them or cut them off, you know, while walking in line because, hey, 
I've got places to be. I, I'm not a fan of just milling around like a bunch of cattle heading for the cattle shoots in the stockyards. I tend to if I'm you know if I've in my younger years been at a concert or a, a you know St. Louis Cardinals game or something like that, and you know for example with my wife, I'll pretty much say grab my wrist or my hand, hold on, don't let go, and I'm taking my other arm kind of like a battering ram, and we're getting through the crowd. I don't. I'm not like you said. I'm not just gonna you know go side to side slowly. We're getting through the crowd, and uh, like like you, that tends to ruffle some feathers. So, oh yeah, anytime I'm at a game or a concert or you know like God forbid Universal Studios or Disney World, and I'm with a group of people and we're walking through a crowd, they just get right behind me like we're running a wedge play out of a double <laughs> wing formation. I'm plowing the road. Well. Speaking of some football, and we probably should, or you know, not necessarily football exactly, we're going to t- predominantly discuss football, but also uh, some other topics as well. But I said to you, when you reached out to me Monday evening and you said, record tonight, and I said, can, I said, uh, uh, what do you want to talk about? And you sent me a picture of the list of topics that you want to talk about. So I full felt grateful that you had a list because I said, you know, okay, we, we, I don't, we'll, we'll, I, I don't mind talking with Haas. We could talk about chocolate milk and Costco. I don't care. Uh, yeah. but the fact that you actually came in with a plan, I actually referred to you as the skipper, uh, this time. So, uh, I'm going off of the list you sent me. So can we just go right down the list? Is that all right with you? Let's do it. I know where you want to start. And it is the foundation of every successful team, program, franchise. That's the interior offensive lineman. And obviously we know Tanner Farmer, senior, graduating. You know, he stepped in, played a a big part at center. Wasn't always perfect, but, uh, you know, certainly held his own. And then some, I think, Uh, when we talk about the, the senior from... Highland, Illinois, just up the road. In fact, I, I was there last week. Is, is that a, a guy who has next-level potential? Uh, will he be given an opportunity or, or a look at uh, the, the combine, you think? Well, I don't know. I don't know about the if he'll get an invite to the combine, but I definitely think a team will take a flyer on him as an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, he's pretty raw at center when he stepped in in the Purdue game when Cole Conrad got hurt. But every game after the, from the Purdue game to the Iowa game, he got incrementally better in each game. And there were some snap issues, of course. But his ability to identify defensive fronts and get guys, you know, into the correct line call and, you know, help the O-line adjust on the fly uh, was really nice. And I think with his size and strength and the raw aptitude that he showed in playing center, I think he'll get a flyer in the NFL. Not too many guys are 6'4 and, you know, 3'15, 3'20 like he is and move functionally well like he does. We have talked about Tanner Farmer for years. Uh, I I mean, technically, if you want to, you know, go back to the beginning before uh, you were a regular here on the show, and, and he came in, with you know, obviously the the big frame, uh, and and there's the the viral video of him in, in one of the post game pressers, or maybe not a post game, but uh, you know a press conference of, of talking about 
you know, he uh, how he spent his you know, um, uh, not uh, his underclassman years not really doing the work. He, you know, he thought, yeah, you can go into college and put in the same amount of effort that you put in in high school, and uh, and you'd be all right. And, and it took him a few years for that to register that no, you're playing with you know you can get away with that in high school if you're you know elite level talent but you can't do that in college where almost everybody's elite level talent um and so we talk uh, you know about his work ethic but even before that we talked about his you know greco-roman championship wrestling background that i i always go back to the movie the replacements and uh gene hackman talking about the uh, the sumo wrestler he's like what a sumo it's pushing people around what is you know pass protection pushing people around you know so it is that is that type of background something that scouts at the next level even consider or is it going to be his body of work strictly at at the collegiate level it'll be mainly his body of work at the collegiate level but there's so much carryover between greco-roman wrestling and offensive line play that if it comes down to Tanner Farmer and some other center from Roast Beef State who are similar in what they put out as a sample size on the field, that wrestling background might account for something. You okay. know, understanding leverage, hand positioning, um, you know, getting to the landmark on a defender, you know, getting your right hand to their into their armpit to seal them off from the point of attack, something like that. So I think the wrestling background does come into play a little bit. Maybe not a whole lot, but there, there's so much carryover between the two. I know college offensive line coaches always talk about how important it is for high school offensive linemen to participate in wrestling in the offseason just because it teaches so many of the same, you know, basically physics of offensive line play. And it's something, you know, it is – something that i learned in my time out in uh, uh, the panhandle of nebraska is that really it's cheaper to operate a high school wrestling program than it is a high school basketball program uh but oh absolutely but you know the small schools in my area where i where i grew up and i had 82 kids in my graduating class and they, my school didn't then and and you know my alma mater uh, now they still don't you know almost 20 years later don't have wrestling um, it's a it's a sport that you see in some high schools, but it, around you know in, in Illinois, it's more of the bigger high schools, not not the smaller ones. Like I couldn't imagine. Uh, I'll throw it out there: uh, Crawford, Nebraska High School, uh, not having high school wrestling or Minotaur, you know, things like that. The, these are, I mean, it's it's kind of the lifeblood uh, in, in the winter sports uh, for a lot of the small. Uh, small schools and small towns in in Nebraska. So, and I'm sure it's not just Nebraska. I'm sure the same is said in you know Oklahoma. Oklahoma, of course, has a very proud uh, high school wrestling. Um, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, program tradition. or tradition? Thank you. Uh, mind went blank there. Uh, you know, so it's it's just weird that in, where I grew up in my area, it, it was not not really seen at all. So. Um, so anyway, Tanner Farmer, of course, and then he, he's going to need to be replaced. Gerald Foster's going to need to be replaced. Uh, but we saw some good things from Bo Wilson. And who else is going to step up in that interior offensive lineman, you know, th- those open spots? 
Well, what I'm hoping for is, I'm hoping, and it starts actually at the right tackle position. We'll kind of knock, cross off another uh, thing on our list when I say this. I'm hoping that Bryce Benhart can come in, you know, day one as the starter at right tackle. He's definitely got the size and the frame and the athleticism at, you know, a lean six foot eight and 301 pounds. And hopefully that allows Matt Farniak to slide inside to guard where he's a much more natural uh, guard than he is a tackle. Uh, he doesn't have the feet to be a good tackle. He did serviceable this year. But putting him in at guard where he's got help from both sides, he's not out on an island in pass protection, I think would be big for him. Uh, he's a good polar. He's a good drive blocker. I think guard would be a natural position. So if he can take over at one of the guard spots and then you have Bo Wilson at the other one, really center is the one that it comes down to where you're breaking in you know, a first-time starter aside from Ben Hart at right tackle. And that's between, you know, it depends if Desmond Bland, you know, ends up signing with us. He's He took an official visit to Florida State last week. But if Desmond Bland, at center, you have Desmond Bland, Hunter Miller, Will Farniak, and Cam Jurgens. So you have, a, you know, a competition for the center position. And the staff really liked Will Farniak back in fall camp. He knew the playbook, knew the line calls. The knock on him was just that he was undersized. He came in as an early enrollee in January at only about 265 pounds. So hopefully, you know, a year of year plus of, you know, strength and conditioning under Zach Duvall gets him, you know, up to 280, 285. And then, you know, Cam Jurgens is a naturally explosive athlete who can carry the mass of being an offensive lineman on his frame. Hunter Miller um, showed out well in the spring game last year, so you got some you have some legitimate power five um, centers the way they're built at least at, in those four guys. So you just try to find the one that you know can grab hold of the job in competition and hold on to it, and then you go from there. And I think uh, I think we're probably going to be slated to have our best offensive line we've had in quite some time. Uh, a lot of these guys are upgrades over the departed seniors and Tanner Farmer and Gerald Foster. Um, there might be some lag in those guys' you know, upgrade and athleticism really getting going, getting things rolling, because you can say what you want about Farmer and Foster. They were fifth-year seniors. They had been around for a while. But when fall, when we kick off, August 31st against South Alabama, going left to right, I think the offensive line will be Brendan Hymas, Matt Farniak, Will Farniak, uh, Bo Wilson, and Bryce Benhart. Talk to me, as you said, uh, Will Farniak, the, that's the younger. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you said, you know, came in a little undersized, but isn't of all the uh, quote unquote big men up front, you know, of all the offensive linemen, the center is about the one spot where you can get away with that, right? Yeah, because you want your center to be, you know, agile enough. Think like Kevin, I'm going to butcher the name, but Kevin Maway, Kevin Maway, who played for the New York Jets, and now he's the offensive line coach for Herm Edwards at Arizona State. 
that guy, he was so agile. He was, he was able to reach a shaded nose guard or reach a one technique lined up on the guard's inside shoulder, you know, pull, block a linebacker. You, you want your center to have that kind of movement. You also want to be strong enough to work a nose guard or zero technique out of the hole on the line of scrimmage. So he doesn't need to be, you know, a 305, 310-pound monster. He just needs to get up to about 285, 290 while maintaining, you know, good functional movement. I, I'm intrigued by the notion of obviously everybody – who is, you know, th- that you mentioned in, in your prognostication, in your Nostradamus-type uh, looking into your crystal ball, everybody will have another year under this strength and conditioning and nutrition program, which by all accounts has been, you know, outstanding. When you look at where this team was, you know, let's say 15 months ago versus where they were in September, October of, of this season – I don't think, looking back, and I don't know if it was a little bit more pride or what, but this team didn't seem to run out of gas at the end of this season. Or, am, am I reading that wrong? Or, or perhaps putting a different, uh, more physical reason instead of mental? I mean, uh, do, do you agree with the assessment, or do you think that uh, uh, you know maybe something else, uh, another factor caused last season's uh, you know putrid finish no i agree 100 percent with you uh seemed like we were still very well conditioned by year's end there was very 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 minimal um soft tissue injuries the state the same starting five started every game after the purdue game when we put uh tanner farmer in at center so i i think the offensive line alone is self-evident about how much the strength and conditioning program has benefited those guys. You, you mentioned uh, the guys up front, uh, and we're going to talk about you know the, the backfield, particularly the quarterback, uh, in, in just a little bit. But there's going to be a thousand-yard rusher that you know uh, in that backfield that's not gonna, you know who was there for this season who's not going to be there going forward in Divine Ozigbo. Divine is, I don't want to call him a hint. Let me see if I can say this right. As we know, it's well documented on this show that sometimes the words don't get from my brain to my mouth fluidly. Uh, So Divine is a bit of an enigma in how he was used in the Mike Riley era versus how he was used this year Obviously, you had the uh, unplanned, at least we believe unplanned, certainly uh, unsuspecting early retirement of uh, Trey Bryant. Then you had Greg Bell leaving after losing the uh, starting spot. So Devine comes in and runs roughshod. I mean, he he was not really in the talk as a starter in fall practice or or, uh, in in spring uh, football or, or in fall practice. And then he comes out and... When you think about it, Bell left what after the uh, what, after what? the Purdue game? Okay, so a good five games in. Four, no, Purdue was the fourth game. Uh, so, so a quarter of the schedule in, and and you know, 
Scott Frost kind of hand the reins to Divino Zigbo as the main feature back, and he made the best of it. If if he would have been given that kind of opportunity for a four-year career, tell me a little bit about how his trajectory would have been different. You know, I don't know if it would have been all that different. Um, Did- I know it's in, I know it's in vogue to pile on the previous staff for mismanaging Ozigbo. But one thing that seems to get lost in the shuffle just, you know, in the collective conversation about Nebraska football is that Divine, up until this year, had a little bit of bad weight on him. Uh, His vision on zone runs, finding the cutback lane, finding the open gap, was lacking. And he didn't have the burst and acceleration his first three years that he showed this year. He was always a physical runner. Uh, it showed on his very first touchdown run of his career against Illinois in Champaign in 2015. It showed in the Foster Farms Bowl against UCLA that year. And it showed in the Oregon game in 16 when Oregon just didn't want to tackle him in the second half. But after an ankle injury in 16, um, we saw more Terrell Newby, Trey Bryant emerge as a true freshman. And then in 17, you know, he starts playing more after Trey Bryant's injury and Mikhail Wilbon's not giving us much in the running game. But he wasn't the same back that he was in 15, 16, 17 that he was in 18. Um, so I think he's another guy that benefited greatly from the strength and conditioning of Zach Duvall and in the culture change that Frost brought with him to Lincoln from Orlando. It just, you know, he was fully bought in. I'm not saying that he was ever not bought in, but he embraced the culture of hard work and it showed, you know, in his on-field play. So I don't think it would be appreciably different. I think, or I I, kind of got myself tangled up here trying to, words come hard on this show as we discussed. (laughs) I, I think that, the coaching change is the driving force behind Ozigbo's emergence in 2018. And that's fair. I also think, and I'm sure this has been discussed elsewhere, but because he was used, and I'll I use the phrase used sparingly for the first three seasons, you know, of his career, that he had enough you know, tread on the tires that he could be unleashed a little bit his senior year. I think that's a, a, yeah. a perhaps overlooked, uh, at least overlooked by me. I'd never really thought about that uh, until now. But, but yeah, in 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 sharing reps as often as he did sharing carries and touches his freshman junior or freshman sophomore junior seasons, he was pretty fresh and not too beat up. You know, as a senior, and that allowed him, as we mentioned, you know, to be Nebraska's first thousand-yard rusher since uh, Amir Abdullah 2014. So, is the weight of his senior year? We could probably talk about this, you know, in the springtime. But is the weight of his performance his senior year is that enough to get him a look at the next level? Absolutely. Well, he's a good inside runner. He's got great speed on perimeter runs, great acceleration and pulling away from defenders in the open field, great pass protection. Um, he's 
not prone to injury. I mean, he, he really carried the load through October, and then the emergence of Maurice Washington kind of lightened that load a little bit. But I, I think teams at the next level are really going to like Devine, and he's a decent enough receiver coming out of the backfield. I mean, I'm kind of hoping the Kansas City Chiefs take a look at him in the draft or undrafted free agency to replace the uh, now-cut Kareem Hunt because I, I think he's a he's a great tailback in a spread offense. You mentioned Mo Washington, and I've heard uh, other podcasts. I'm not going to lie. It's the only other Husker podcast that I listen to. It's our friends at the Big Red Cobcast, uh, and I've heard them talk about what they would like to see you know, from Troy Walter's offense, Scott Frost's offense next year is more Mo Washington spread out as a receiver. But he did spend quite a bit of time in, in the, the backfield this year. Is he the heir apparent for that uh, starting running back job next year? Or do you think that the coaching staff has something different for him in mind? Well, I think they have something a little different in mind. I think because of his ability as a receiver, as a pass catcher, whether it's split out wide or coming out of the backfield, I think that you'll see him play a lot more receiver, maybe even on a full-time basis next year. Most of his splash plays that he made were from the receiver position or coming out of the backfield on pass plays. And comparatively speaking, he didn't have a whole lot of you know splash plays as a runner out of the backfield. Do you I'm think... Saying that he's not good, obviously, because he's, you know, he has the potential to be one of the all-time greats at Nebraska too. But I think with the loss of Stanley Morgan, I think using Maurice Washington more as a wideout at the duck R position uh, would would benefit this offense greatly. I, I'm not disagreeing. I just want to uh, throw this out there. Everybody remembers that Washington got on campus. You know, what was it right before the start of fall practice, or maybe even in fall camp, something like that, mm-hmm. is when he arrived. So he really missed out on, you know, the the off season strength and conditioning. If he hits, you know, that program as hard as you know his predecessors did, and and uh, you know, I'm sure as much as he watched some of his teammates uh, get the gains in the weight room and such, could he? Do you think that, that Scott Frost and company would want him to how, – how do I put this in a way that doesn't sound weird uh, – transform his body into something that's a little bit more prototypical eyeback? Maybe not eyeback, but running back. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he had on Twitter about a week ago that his goal through winter conditioning was to get up to 195. And I think at 195, you know, with that added mass and, you know, with that, you know, best way to get even faster more explosive is by getting under a you know bar in the squat rack i think that he would probably lend lend himself to being our starting eye back next year i i mean i'm just really enamored with him as a receiver with what he's shown and i sure. think that he could be really dangerous at that position for us but if he you know packs on some mass you know reshapes his body composition into more of a tailback mold I think that's your starting tailback as well. So let's let's take this another way. I having a Maurice Washington split out wide helps 
both him, I think, as as the playmaker that he is that we've seen, but also helps the J.D. Spielman on the other side. Similar to you know, obviously when when Stanley Morgan was at his best was when there was the threat of J.D. Spielman doing something ridiculous, which we saw often, early and often. Oh yeah. Uh, so if if that's the way that this offensive you know system is going to run next year with Washington out out wide. Who's going to be in the backfield? That is, I guess, the the next question. Who who would be that running back that had the Divino Zigbo spot? Well, there's a lot of guys to choose from, and there a lot of a lot of them are unproven commodities. But I think Wyatt Mazur could be effective as the eye back. You, you know, know, I'm going to stop you right there. Hunter. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there because you just made hearts all across. The great land of Nebraska, Flutter, when you mentioned one of their own. Flutter, yeah. flutter, 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 flutter. Sorry. One of the I'm native gonna... sons. <laughs> the, uh, the, I mean, th- think about it. I'm not trying to put too much on the young man's shoulders, but it, it hasn't happened since Andy Janovich, and it won't happen again in an Andy Janovich style because we don't have fullbacks anymore. Uh, so Wyatt Missouri is your closest thing to an Andy Janovich. Yeah, and I, I think that he could be a really effective eye back for us. Um, he, does, ha- he does. He does have a Garth touchdown City. in the big house, Wyatt Mazur. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I forgot about that. There at the tail end of that woodshed, you know, game. I'm counting it. Shut up. Dedrick Mills at a Garden City Community College junior college transfer. Um, Miles Jones, Ramir Johnson. Uh, Ronald Tompkins will probably redshirt, you know, his first year on campus because of the torn ACL. But then you got guys like, you know, you got a guy like Wandale Robinson coming in. I'm so, so glad you said that. There's a lot. There's a lot of talent to work with, and I think because of Maurice Washington's proficiency as a receiver, I think splitting him out wide opens up the offense even more. I, I wanted to try to get you and John and Rick on last week to talk about uh, uh, Mr. Robinson because we really stuck it to Kentucky last week and and we'll talk about it briefly when we talk about volleyball at the end of the show Uh, but we really just made Kentucky our bitch uh, in in the first week of December and I was happy as can be I don't like Kentucky uh, on any they had a a rough week check must have bounced (laughs) yeah uh, but Wandale Robinson is uh, leaving home, coming to Lincoln. Uh, he has closed his recruiting, as he said. I look for him to, uh, you know, put pen to paper on the. I'm, I'm assuming the early signing day, but, but uh, I guess we'll find out if that's. Or I, I can't imagine if he said he's closed his recruiting. I can't imagine why he'd wait and, and uh, uh, you know, sign any later. That he has been compared to Rondale Moore of Purdue. And mm-hmm. and rightfully so. I mean, I think they're both, you know, that that type of, you know, player who can make an impact early on. Uh, Moore obviously did it. I think he he was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The Big Ten Freshman of the Year, uh, beating out our our uh, very own um, Adrian Martinez. But in doing so, uh, you know, credit to him. He he uh, mentioned Adrian Martinez and, and mentioned the the fantastic year that Amart had. Uh, but Wandale Robinson, similar style and the ability to come in as a true freshman 
and and do something special. And is he the type of player who you have kind of in that slot receiver, almost J.D. Spielman-esque type of role, maybe to keep Maurice Washington in the backfield? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. And I think Frost even had mentioned that, or maybe some of the recruiting service had mentioned that, because coaches can't comment on recruits until they sign. But how J.D. would kind of take over Stan's role and Wandale would step into J.D.'s role that he had this past season. It it all... I mean that that makes perfect sense, and that's kind of uh, I don't know a graduation of, of sorts for uh, Spielman. You know, uh, I Spielman's proven himself. You know, he he has that dynamic playmaking ability that we saw from Demorne Pearsonell before uh, Demorne got hurt. You know, so I'm excited to see what uh, Spielman brings. You know, when he's healthy. You know, in the spring and in the fall. Because it's unfortunate that that we missed him for the last couple of games, um, that 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 might have changed uh, turned the tide of that Iowa game. We didn't really talk about that. Um, yeah, I think I was just thinking of that earlier. I think that would have definitely changed some things. You know, would have opened up the quarterback run game, tailback run game, get Stan a little bit more open. You know, JD would have made a you know typical JD spectacular play on third oh, down with the sticks. It's uh, and, and not only that, but how many? I, I mean, I didn't record all of them via Facebook, but how many times were, did we say Martinez to Spielman for a touchdown? You know, this year, it, and it's the first opportunity, obviously, that those two had to to share the field, and and we saw a lot of special things. You, you put number ten on that field in Iowa City, and I I don't think I, I just don't think that that outcome is the same. I think it's a very different finale. Uh, or, or finish it, it to use that word and that I mean obviously we uh, you know you, you, we can do all the ifs and buts or candy and nuts and things like that but uh, um, I don't know just something I thought of so no, I thought I thought the same thing during that Iowa game let since I'm, I'm on coordination.com right now and I'm seeing this for the first time so bear with me Maybe this is old news, uh, but talk to me about losing Justin McGriff. I just, you know, I just saw that. I I don't really have an opinion on that one way or another. Uh, he's an unproven commodity. Redshirted this year. I know that they had switched him to outside linebacker no, I didn't uh, after the season ended just a few weeks ago, but uh, must just must not really have liked the switch to defense. All right. I mean, you know, we've said this before. We said it when it happened just before, you know, the opening game or what we thought was going to be the opening game against Akron. At no point, at least at no point am I, and I think you you share this view as well, are we going to fault a kid for, you know, leaving for what they think is a greener ground, right? Greener grass, greener pastures? Exactly. you got to do what's right for them. We said the same thing. And it, and it pained, but we said the same thing about Greg Bell when he left in the season, and that one, you know, I'm still shaking my head about. But uh, uh, different era, you know, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, all right, so we've we've talked a little bit about the backfield. We've talked – I think – have we covered the, the fact that you may, you may or may not – I – getting ahead of myself. 
Stanley Morgan Jr. made the joke, I think it was before the Iowa game or before the Michigan State game or something like that, saying he, he better get his record now or, or something like that because he knows it's not going to stand very long with J.D. Spielman, uh, you know, waiting in the wings. Um, that that's I used the word heir apparent earlier, but Spielman is, by all accounts, I mean, he's going to be the guy in, in 2019 and for 2020 as well, right? I mean, there's no... Oh yeah. There there's no doubt about it. When I mean he's going to be the focal point for Adrian Martinez. Unfortunately that means he's probably also gonna be the focal point for the defense. Um but he's how do I I'm going to make it a comparison that I hope does not show me out to be a a homer for who I'm comparing him to. He's reminiscent of a Juju Smith Schuster. Finds a way to get the ball and does some spectacular stuff with it. I see that. I agree with that, you, too. You, you thought I might make the Antonio Brown comment, didn't you? You thought that's where no, I was going to go. I, I knew you weren't going that high. Um, <laughs> I also think that JD's a little reminiscent of uh, Julian Edelman. Okay. Boy, just finds a way to get open. Um, you know, JD's not the fastest guy with straight line speed, so I won't go as far as say he's Tyreek Hill. <laughs> but, uh, He's he's very reminiscent of a Juju Smith-Schuster, a Julian Edelman. And um, I don't like Julian Edelman, but I don't disagree with your assessment. And we all know why I don't like Julian Edelman. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so, anyway, let's uh, let's move on because we're – that's just – folks, that's just four of our topics. We've got – more to go. We might actually have to break this up into two episodes. I don't know. Uh, we might. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, that front seven on the defensive side. It ha- took many different forms in uh, 2018. Was there a, a rotation or a lineup that you saw that you said, that's the one. If we can keep these guys healthy, this is the the lineup that's going to carry us to the promised land. No. <laughs> I didn't I, think no. so. <laughs> and, you know, you saw on, lots of promise and potential. Because I, I think I can cross off a good majority of these with one singular, you know, yeah, front seven inside linebackers, pass rush, dynamic, yeah. Okay, front <laughs> seven has, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up. I mean, they hit rock bottom right. this year. Uh, defensive performances, as far as what we saw from them this year, can't get much worse. A lot of that comes down to you got to be able to clog interior gaps, especially if we're going to be running the tight front out of the 3-4 with DNs lined up inside of offensive tackles and then a nose guard over the center. That entire defensive structure is designed to clog the interior gaps, cancel out an opponent's inside running game, and force runs to spill to the outside where your athletic defenders can make plays in space, you know, to limit gains or, you know, get tackles for loss. So it all kind of fits together with how do you get better? Well, Damian Daniels needs to get, you know, in better condition. He can't only play seven snaps in a ball game like he did against Iowa. He's got to be more conditioned because – he could be a very good player. The addition of his brother, Darian Daniels, that's a guy who spent the past four years at a Power 5 you know, 
on a Power 5 football team in Oklahoma State and has played reasonably well. I believe it was 68 tackles and two sacks that he had from this time at Oklahoma State. That's an awful lot of tackles for a nose guard. So from there, Davis twins need to be on the outside. Khalil Davis started flashing really well late in the year. Carlos Davis couldn't because he was playing as an undersized nose guard. Guys like Ben Stille need to continue to improve. Inside linebackers need to get better. Mo Berry is a proven commodity. He's a very good football player. But that other inside linebacker spot, you could tell as the season went on that we really missed a guy like Will Honus when he went down with a knee injury in either the Michigan or Purdue games. So if you get those positions figured out, inside linebacker and the interior three defensive linemen, that frees up your outside linebackers. That, that helps out tremendously. We still need to upgrade our talent at the pass rushing spots. I think that Jamin Graham or Jameen Graham, um, I haven't heard his name pronounced, just read it, uh, the commitment that we got last week, from Alabama, the pass rusher, I think he is a big piece in solving our pass rushing problem. Caleb Tanner, with another year of development in the weight room, I think could be a very good pass rusher. We have got to be able to pressure the quarterback. If we're going to play some pretty static coverages, we've got to be, you know, generate pressure up front. Which that kind of leads me to the next point on the list, you know, dynamic defensive schemes and calls. We were pretty limited in what we could do defensively with the talent that we had on hand. Um, You look around the country, guys who are running similar schemes, Jim Heacock at Iowa State, Todd Orlando at Texas, they both run the tight front that we use under Eric Chenander. Those guys get pretty exotic in their fronts. Um, A lot of gap exchanges, twists, stunts, blitzes, um, and... We need to do that. We can't sit, stay so static in our front. You either got to storm the fort or protect your ass, meaning you either got to pressure the quarterback or you got to play coverage, but you can't do both. So if we can get better up front with better talent, that lends itself well to getting more creative and exotic in our pressures and blitzes. Because what I saw in 2017 from Shenander's defense at UCF was night and day from what we saw this year in Lincoln. And it's not just from a talent discrepancy. It's from a schematic standpoint where UCF was really exotic. They'd get a team into third and six, third and seven in the high red zone area, maybe the 18-yard line. You could bet that there's going to be a pretty exotic blitz, you know, thrown at the quarterback to, you know, confuse, well, confuse the offensive line and, get to the quarterback so i just want to see the the upgrades and talent translate into being able to throw more at an offense because as a dc you're not coaching against the oc you're just trying to outsmart the quarterback do you think the if you think about a blitz is sending six guys and then you have one-on-one coverage you know for for receivers and such and, and as you said, what you saw from 2017 Shenander at UCF versus – do you think that they used – I'm not going to say that they sacrificed an entire season, but do you think that 
maybe somewhere in their subconscious they kind of use this as a palate cleanser of sorts to, I don't know, maybe make people forget about the 2017 UCF defense and what it could do on a you know third and six situation in the high red zone area just to when they show it next year. Maybe I'm overthinking things. I probably am. Um, that's, that's I mean that's just not likely in, in when in in a in a time when it's win now because there might not be a tomorrow even with Scott Frost's exorbitant buyout and he's not going anywhere for several years I'm confident in that I'm not saying that he should I'm not saying that any of his you know coordinators assistants anything like that should uh, I want this staff to succeed for the long haul at Nebraska. I guess I kind of answered my own question. Never mind. <laughs> but there, there's no way that they would at, at any point say, you know what, we're just going to be a little bit vanilla, a little bland, and then, by God, when we get our guys in there, when we get a little talent upgrade, we're going to show them shit that they've never seen before. They're not going to do that, right? Yeah. No. No, they, they wouldn't. Um, but when you're limited athletically – turns into your you know your guys out there on the field can't execute sure. some things and rather than putting too much on them things that they can't execute very well you just want to do the basics i mean it's like kfc what do they do they do chicken right so what are you know if you're eric chenander you're thinking what are we gonna do well we're just gonna do a few things right and build that foundation sure. that makes and, sense uh, unfortunately there is some sacrifice that takes place that's it's unfortunate that it happens that way. But I think with another year of, you know, learning the scheme and guys getting bigger, faster, and stronger, I think you'll see some of those, you know, more dynamic defensive calls for the front seven. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to the next step in the evolution of Adrian Martinez. I'll tell you, one of the things that impressed me most about uh, Adrian Martinez in 2018 is he stepped on the field. Yeah, it was against Colorado, but, I mean, it could have been a week earlier against Akron. He stepped onto that field as an 18-year-old young man, and he never looked phased. He never looked nervous. He never looked overwhelmed. He always looked in control, poised, and he played like it. Um, it's unfortunate that he got his knee purposefully tweaked at the end of the Colorado game, sat out the uh, game against uh, uh, Troy, and had to you know, go back next game in on the road at Michigan and, and just you know, deal with that. Because Michigan, you know, up until the Ohio State game, was a very good team, and then they, they showed their true selves, uh, as only Michigan can. Um, but everything about Adrian Martinez – trends upward in my opinion oh absolutely um the guy like you said the guy was never phased he always looked like he just was out there with a complete command of the game and i think you're gonna see him make a, a jump his second year as a starter similar to the jump that mckenzie milton made from year one in 2016 to year two in 2017 and when that jump occurs, I mean, this offense is going to be operating at full sail. Um, he already showed that pretty much the entire playbook was open with him as the starter already this season. But with another year, he's going to start making throws that he didn't make the year before. And 
he's probably going to scramble, you know, be more patient, let throws set up downfield, or he's going to know when to get out of there as opposed to holding onto the ball too long like he did a few times, you know, this season. So the sky's the limit for him. I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun watching him quarterback your Nebraska Cornhuskers for the next three seasons. Is there – I'm going to ask you a question with an answer in my mind already, but I want to hear your opinion. Is there a, a next-level NFL quarterback now that even at 18-19 that he reminds you of as far as his, his play? And, and obviously with, you know – health and and maturity things like that you could be like oh yeah that i remember when he looked like a young so-and-so or or when he showed you know us that that he you know was mimicking or or resembling a a, a so-and-so from the you know you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. is, is there anybody in in the, in the league right now that you watch their play and you watch adrian martinez play and you're like i see a lot of similarities there Patrick Mahomes. Okay, not the one I was thinking, but interesting. And honestly, he's got a little bit of Aaron Rodgers to his game, too. Can, can I say one that's going to hurt Husker fans' hearts? Yeah. Russell Wilson. I could see that as well. I think he's a little bit more of a dynamic runner than Wilson, but I can totally see that as well, the way he throws on the run. Well, we all know uh, that Aaron Rodgers is known plays. as a dynamic runner. <laughs> What? I said we all know that Aaron Rodgers is known as a dynamic runner. Well, like, for Martinez, like, and this is just my own philosophy on quarterbacking, I always judge a quarterback based off of their ability as a passer. Oh, yeah. If they're a runner as well, that's the added bonus because when you got a runner at QB, forces defenses to play 11 on 11. Now, the drawback for Nebraska over the course of our history is we've always had running backs who could kind of sort of throw playing quarterback for us Mm -hmm. now we've got a quarterback who's a passer who can also run and so with the way he creates you know some of the angles that he throws the ball on the way he contorts his arm and can fit the ball around a defender or into a window it's reminiscent of Mahomes or Rodgers and then you can also tell that he's you know smart You, you can tell that he knows where to go with the ball very rarely did he make an interception where you're going, oh, my God, he just didn't even know what the coverage was. Um, the only really bad interception that stands out to me would probably be that interception in the Iowa game where he tried to hit Stan along the sideline and the corner kind of undercut the route. Mm-hmm. I think it was the safety undercut the route. And that, you know, that play also calls into mind where if, J.D. Spielman was on the field and able to control the middle of the co- the interior coverage, that safety probably isn't all the way over on the sideline right. undercutting yeah, the, the route. The, the safeties won't be able to cheat uh, if Spielman's on there. So when we look at Adrian Martinez, you know, again, he, he's now been in the program, let's say, a full year. He was an early enrollee, uh, although he – you know, practiced all spring and played in the spring game. Didn't technically win the starting job until you know the week before the season started, and we all know what happened after that. But it 
it's kind of nice in that starting the spring, we don't have to worry. We don't have a quarterback situation like we've had the last couple of years. You know, after uh, Tommy Armstrong, who was your uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Incumbent. Thank you. I was like embedded. That's not right. <laughs> Uh, he was the uh, uh, incumbent quarterback, you know, ever, ever since uh, really you know, Taylor Martinez got hurt. Uh, and, and the only time Tommy wasn't playing was, you know, if he was hurt or they needed a Ron Kellogg the third, you know, bomb against Nor- uh, Northwestern for a touchdown. Uh, then, you know, when, when Tommy graduates, then you have the, the Tanner Lee, uh, Patrick O'Brien, Tristan Jebbia situation, and then. You know, last spring it was O'Brien, Jebbia, Adrian Martinez. Now we go into spring, we know who our quarterback is. It's one less question mark heading into spring ball on really what, as we've gone down the list, there are plenty of question marks. It's nice to have one that's pretty rock solid. You know, this is our guy. Absolutely. And it lets us focus on more important things like, uh, the offensive line, the the center battle. Speaking of centers, there's another sport uh, that is played that includes a center. This is a horrible segue. I'm taking full blame for it. Uh, but basketball. And we're going to talk basketball briefly. As I mentioned earlier in the show, hope to talk basketball and volleyball a little bit later this week with some more of our uh, coordination uh, gurus and, and uh, contributors, including our volleyball guru, Ty Peter Onitz. But Nebraska ball, they finally got that monkey off the back. The jittery monkey, if you will. Uh, you're welcome for that. And uh, they beat Creighton this past weekend. It was a glorious Saturday all across the great state of Nebraska, except for one little part in the Omaha area. But Haas, even you, our resident Jasker, we're celebrating because you know where your true loyalties lie. Damn right, I was celebrating. I mean, I like Nebraska. You know, I like Nebraska basketball. I like Creighton basketball. My loyalties always lie more with Nebraska ball. If you lived yeah. a half hour to the southwest, like if you didn't grow up in the shadow of Omaha, we all know where you live. It's, we're not going to mention it. But if you just lived, grew up closer to Lincoln, do you think you'd even like Creighton at all? No. No, okay. I wouldn't. All right. So, th- you know, the, the whole thing that comes down to is, you know, location, my dad location, location. has followed Creighton basketball going back to the Paul Silas era. You know, I'm Catholic, spent, you know, the early years of my life living in Midtown, went to a Catholic grade school. Um, Creighton, you know, was always kind of a constant you know, if Creighton had a Division One football team that played in Nebraska, I would not be a Creighton basketball fan at all either. You know, football's king. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, if I was from, I mean, hell, if I was from Greenwood or Waverly, I, I likely would not follow Creighton basketball. I don't even follow them much anyways, you know. want to see them win. I'll root for them. Um, but when, it, when I do watch basketball, I'm watching Nebraska basketball. That's my, that's my boy. I, I makes my heart happy to hear that. My five heart happy to hear that, Hoss. <laughs> and brother, was that a Molly Whopping or what? Oh, that was. I uh, I didn't get a chance to watch all the game because 
it just so happened that uh, my wife was supposed to work uh, Saturday night, so we got the Christmas tree Saturday afternoon, uh, and since she was supposed to work and, and wanted to come home and, and get some sleep before her night shift, uh, I said, all right, well, you know, I'll get the tree in place, you get a nap, and then we can decorate the tree, you know, trim the tree or whatnot on Sunday. Well, then she ended up getting called off like around 5 o'clock or so, so I, we, you know, I had the game on. But I also had some Christmas music on. We did the family thing, you know, decorating the tree in the other room. So the tree is up. It's behind me as I record right now. It looks fantastic. My boy is enamored with it because, you know, he's three and, and he's he's like, oh, lights and tree. Uh, so I didn't watch all of the game, but I certainly popped my head in uh, around the corner from time to time to see ass whooping that was being handed on. And, uh, ooh, there was there was some shade. Uh, there, there were some sore loserness being thrown from a... Uh, uh, Greg McDermott afterwards, and uh, kind of had to call him out on that on on Twitter. If if you didn't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, make sure you uh, follow at the number five Heart Podcast because uh, oh Greg McDermott, uh, you know he's uh, allegedly uh, been playing paying some players. So uh, he he said that uh, it was desperation that Nebraska had to win. And I don't know if desperation was the right word, but you could just tell he was he was ticked at the outcome, and that was fine by me. So yeah, I could definitely tell he was ticked at the outcome and desperation. Like I knew what he meant because when you when you lose to a team seven times in a row, there is no other thing that you are but desperate and hungry for a win. But much like you know the fan base, the Nebraska ball hardliners that exist. I knew that, you know, they were going to take umbrage with that statement. Guilty. Hey, you know what? This is, <laughs> consider this the, uh, you know, Adelaide Stevenson at the UN during the Cuban Missile Crisis moment of this podcast. Nebraska fans need to realize something. And I'm not saying this from a high horse. I'm not saying this because of my affinity for Creighton or anything like that. Programs pay players all the time. Nope. Doesn't happen. Nebraska football has done it before. It's happened. I'm not going to name names. It happened a long time ago. Nope. He's making this up. Nebraska Folks. basketball did it under Danny Knee. Folks, don't, don't listen to him. He's, he's making it all up. Don't, don't listen to him. These things happen. It's the nature of the beast in college sports. If me. Nebraska was spending a hundred thousand dollars trying to get a, you know, a baller to sign with them, money well spent. Killing me. Get out of here with that. Let's get some bag man up in here. Nope, nope. We're not. We're not playing the SEC's game. I'm, we're not doing it. Um, I refuse. Even though uh, Tweety over the Big Red Cobcast thinks that's what we should do. Keep. Nope. Let me tell you this, nope. Bob. Some of the stories I've heard. <laughs> Bob Devaney put some of these SEC bag men and their programs to shame. I can't hear you. <laughs> well, that, that's for our uh, that's for a discussion that you know. Let's just table that discussion. We don't need you know. Neither of us need to you know ever get a subpoena from the NCAA. Yeah. 
Uh, and I don't know anything, and I'm keeping it that way. So the last thing we have to discuss, and again, this is just a little tease to uh, a further conversation later in the week with Ty, but volleyball swept their way to the Final Four, beating Kentucky Friday and beating Oregon on uh, Saturday for the second time this season after Oregon upset Minnesota uh, at the Minnesota Regional. So they, I, I'm going to knock on wood, as Nebraska has not lost a set in, uh, in the postseason and they are on their way to the Final Four. And I haven't seen the brackets yet. I know we'll break that all down uh, with Ty later in the week before he makes the trip to Minneapolis. Uh, he's not he, – he's he, – I, t- I joked to them last week. I said, if they – if they, you're going to go, right? If, they, if Nebraska wins, he, or he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the Final Four. So you're going to go hang out with John and the Winos, right? <laughs> he laughed. He said, no. <laughs> he said, no, I'm a little selfish. I, I'm going to get an Airbnb. So uh, – uh, apparently, John's not in the uh, mood to rent out a couch, um, so I don't know. Uh, but your takeaway on that is that is one well-oiled machine that John Cook has going. Complete. It's you know I look at it from through the lens of football, of course, just like I view any other sport. They they just keep rolling. Lose a lot of good players off of last year. Four-year starter and Kelly Hunter come right back, you know, and they're in the thick of it again. I, I'm, and you know, as happy as I am about Nebraska volleyball being in another Final Four, I'm also envious, you know, from you know, wanting, wishing, hoping desperately to see Nebraska football achieve that level of efficiency in just plugging in players and you know making a run for championship year after year after year. So it, it's it's impressive what those ladies can do. Um, I Volleyball is not an easy sport to play. No. You should see me at a 4th of July cookout trying to play in a pickup volleyball game. What I lack in skill, I make up for in intensity. And um, beer drinking. Yeah, and, and my drinking. I, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes. To win a pickup volleyball game at a Fourth of July cookout, I mean, it's like I should be playing for the old school Oakland Raiders of the seventies. Um, Raider rule number one: cheating is encouraged. Raider rule number two: see rule number one. That that's you know, that's how I operate in those pickup games. So, watching them do what they can do is awesome, and win the damn game, get it done this weekend. It is. <sighs> I, there was something profound I was going to say, and just uh, disappeared as I hear my son upstairs banging on the wall or the or his bedroom door. One of the two. All I know is that at almost ten o'clock, that boy is not asleep yet, and six o'clock in the morning is going to come pretty damn early for him. I know that because it's going to come equally early for me. Um, but last uh, subject, or here we go. Before before we transition to our last thing, as you said, envious for. Uh, when you know football is that you know plug in a player and get the same result you know on the on the championship uh contention type of of running be it you know national or or certainly at this point conference championship it seems to me that the wheels are in motion that that type of i hate using the word culture but that type of program or atmosphere is coming back to Memorial Stadium under Scott Frost, correct? Yes. Uh, it, yes, it's a, 
he's not just coaching games. You know, he's not just showing up and just kind of you know doing what needs to be done to win games. He's building a program. You know, pouring the foundation, and when it gets on in years, and you've been doing the same things year after year after year, you know, enforcing the the laws, so to speak, of what you want your culture and your program to be, those results take care of themselves over time, like it has for John Cook, like it did for Tom Osborne, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, um, you know, the list goes on. All right, so our last topic that we have to make it 180% clear that this is a Haas Reuter topic. <laughs> Not a Greg Mahochko topic. I'm just bringing it up because it was on the A lot list. of conversation and chatter in the Slack room. I have to say, as a disclaimer, that I have no boat in the race. Hoss, take it away. I'm not. I'm not saying anymore. Oh, you got. You got. You got to set it up for me to knock this one out of the park here, Chief. <laughs> I don't even know how. Uh, do I just mention the name? Is that? Uh, I, I, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's, okay. let's go with that. Uh, so basically, uh, there has been some uh, coordination Slack chat room talk about the. Beauty level of attractiveness of a certain Husker volleyball player. The general consensus being that she is quite attractive. Again, me, Greg Mahachko, <laughs> no boat in the race. Uh, Haas, tell me about uh, your uh, uh, sell me. All right, put put your salesman hat on. Sell yourself, you know, not in a monetary manner, but sell yourself to... Do I need to go find a street corner in downtown Lincoln? <laughs> no, no, no. Not in a monetary <laughs> manner. Uh, but, but you know, they, they always say, all right, so some of the other uh, podcasts I listen to are wrestling-related, and you find out that some of these gorgeous women were with, uh, you know, at, at one point married to some schlubs of guys. Like David Flair was married to, uh, was it Stacey Keebler, I think, at one point? Who uh, who went on to date for a long time George Clooney, if that's any indication. And David Flair is Ric Flair's son, but you know is not Ric Flair. He's no Space Mountain, if you know what I'm saying. But they said they always said you know that David Flair is a hell of a salesman. Um, so be a salesman, Kenzie Maloney. The floor is yours. <laughs> well, uh, the DMs are open. I'm a good-looking guy. Maybe an NFL offensive coordinator one day. We'll see how what the future holds. Uh, I can go into depth on my uh, bench press and squat numbers, but I'm not Ryan Tweedy, so right. uh, yeah, well, DMs are open. His is more deadlift. Yeah, I, he's a CrossFitter. I I lift like I'm an offensive lineman at 202 pounds. I think it's it's fair to say you at least got to give the squat because the the picture that is i believe accompanying your social media profile makes it look like you skip leg day so you at least need to give the squat number so that she knows that you're not horsing around all right 465 465 which based on appearances alone is like 
four Kenzie Maloney's. So, just guessing on that. I have no idea. Uh, so there it is. If you are Kenzie Maloney or you uh, know Kenzie Maloney, at Hoss Reuter, that is H-O-S-S-R-E-U-T-E-R, on Twitter, the DMs are open, and uh, I know Hoss. Hoss is a good guy. He's a hell of a gentleman. He'll treat you right. All right, let's get out of here. He's laughing, but I, I, have, I say that with sincerity. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I talk to him off air. It's not all football and, and uh, you know, beer in Copenhagen. It's, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a sensitive side there and uh, uh, meaningful. And by God, he's going to be a teacher and a coach. He wants to uh, work with young people and make them better individuals. So uh, he's 28, and Haas Reuters all the way live. That's all I know. That being said, my name is Greg Mahochko. I am at thehooch36. He is Haas Reuter, and that is H-O-S-S-R-E-U-T-E-R on Twitter. The DMs are open. But only for you, Kenzie, if you've made it this far in the show. Uh, so that is it. Uh, we appreciate you listening. You can join the conversation on Facebook at uh, Spelled Out Five Heart Podcast or on Twitter at the number Five Heart Podcast. And all the other social media links are available on this post on coordination.com or jitterymonkey.com. But that is it for this episode. And uh, we'll be back later in the week talking more basketball and volleyball with more of our coordination contributors. And in the meantime, nope, scratch that. That's an old one. I, Greg Mahochko, Haas Reuter, remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season and DMs are open. <laughs> you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't get to do that out last week because I thought that after my segment with Ty that I'd be talking with you and John and Rick the next night and it never materialized. So it's, it's been two weeks since we've uh, done the five heart is all the heart you need and probably three weeks or a month since we did it without me stumbling all over it. Yeah, that was pretty rough a couple weeks ago, but it's forgivable. We were all grieving the loss of football season. And beer. And beer. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.